And if you haven't made a shipment in the last six months, it's changed. It changes every day. So you cannot do too much planning into this process. And, you know, you try to always have a plan B in place because planes break down, uh, weather, COVID, you know, just there's been so many curveballs thrown at our industry over the last, uh, you know, few years. So planning is, is for sure a necessity. It's time for a new era of communication in the swine industry, one that you can get the latest updates while commuting or driving to farms. Here you will have the brightest minds of the global swine industry in your pocket. We want to thank the innovative companies and products whose support and trust make this podcast possible. Adiseo is a worldwide leader in animal nutrition, providing nutritional solutions and services which fuel predictable profits. AB Vista, new nutritional perspectives and novel enzyme applications to drive pig production. Eastman works with you to accelerate your nutritional program innovation. Start your journey with us at Eastman.com. This episode's sponsored highlight is about Adiseo, a worldwide leader in animal nutrition. Adiseo's portfolio of products includes methionine, the full range of vitamins, enzymes, organic selenium, probiotics, mycotoxin management strategies, and palatability products. With such a diverse offering, Adiseo supports its customers with a broad range of expertise, tools, and services to help them maintain a competitive advantage. Adiseo, fueling predictable profits. To learn more, visit Adiseo at www.adiseo.com. Hello, everyone. I'm Laura Greiner, your host for today's Swine It podcast. And with me today, I have Tony Clayton, who is the president of Clayton Agri-Marketing. Tony, how are you today? Laura, I'm good. Thank you for having me. Looking forward to this. Well, we're glad to have you on today. I think this will be a really fun topic to talk about and certainly one that a lot of people probably aren't quite familiar with. But before we do that, I'd like for you to maybe take a moment and introduce yourself to the audience in a little bit more detail. Sure. Uh, again, I'm Tony Clayton, uh, Clayton Agri-Marketing. We're based in Jefferson City, Missouri. Uh, we're a livestock export company. Uh, we've been at this under our own umbrella for 28 years, but I've got over 32 years experience uh, in this field. We export breeding swine, beef cattle, dairy cattle, horses, hogs, sheep, goats. We worked in over 65 countries around the world. We also do some of the logistic export work for the Anheuser-Busch Clydesdales of taking them out of the country and bringing them back. So, uh, we're involved in uh, a lot of different facets. Uh, originally born and raised in the Ozarks of Southwest Missouri on a diver- diversified crop and livestock farm. So uh, that's my two-minute elevator speech on who I am. <laughs> that's wonderful. Well, I'm really fascinated by this topic because we know it happens. We know certainly in the swine interest- industry with nucleus animals in particular, we know they're leaving the U.S., going to other countries and vice versa. Um And so I think this will be really fascinating for a lot of our listeners as to how the whole process goes. But what I'm most curious about is what got you started in this type of business? Oh, I moved to Jefferson City, Missouri in 1985 when I graduated college. I was a hog buyer in a hog buying station Mm -hmm. and a position came open at the Missouri Department of Agriculture. And I was in charge of the state's feeder cattle promotion to out-of-state feed yards and uh, responsible for hay marketing from Missouri. Mm. And uh, 
I got asked to move to international marketing uh, on one Friday because uh, somebody else wanted the job I had. And I started in international marketing the next Monday of just trying to help Missouri producers export their genetics. And no experience in it. There was no plan, no design, and uh, baptized by fire. And then once we got to doing that and traveling and developing a clientele, I was gone a lot of the time, uh, not making much money, and eventually hung out my own shingle and still gone all the time and don't make much money, but do it under our brand. (laughs) Oh, that's absolutely fascinating. Well, what I'm most curious about um, related to pigs, so we'll, we'll talk about pigs since this is a pig podcast, but what, um, what's the predominant form of transport do you, do you handle? Is it by air? Is it by sea? How are we typically moving pigs outside the U.S.? Well, primarily they move by air freight. And if you're okay. going to Asia, primarily you fly all the pigs from Chicago. But there are some airlines that are starting to offer full charter, full plane service from St. Louis Airport because there is a livestock export facility built just behind the Southwest uh, Airlines uh, terminal now. So you can yeah. load a full charter. So that's when you take possession of the full plane. If yeah. you're doing anything in Central or uh, South America, primarily or the Caribbean, all of those shipments originate from Miami. So uh, that's how we'd move them. Now, most of the pig shipments are moved by position on the plane. So that measures 96 inches by 125 inches. And we put a wooden pallet or crate on top of that aluminum pallet. And we can go one, two, three, or even four decks high, depending on the type of airplane that we're using, the size of the pigs. Uh, and so, you know, we, we bed those crates down, uh, mm-hmm. and they have uh, water uh, in it. We can actually put some feed inside uh, for the trip. Uh, we're regulated by so many square feet uh, on each level. The animal has to have mm-hmm. to be comfortable. And so uh, we would move by position. If we're going, uh, as an example, our last shipment to Korea, we had three positions. But if you use the whole level of a 747, you can have up to 30 crates on that oh. on that level. So a lot of times you'll you'll run out of weight uh, before you run out of space, depending on the size of the pigs. And we've seen some changes in airlines uh, as you get into animal welfare. Uh, oh. Boeing Airlines has an animal calculator now that they use for humidity, heat. Uh, on the plane. So now we can only carry really about 900 head at 130 pounds on a full 747 charter. But if you went back a few years ago, we, we were loading 1,200 pigs on some of those planes. So they've, they've changed some of the rules uh, that, we, that we use. And these planes cost the same, whether there's one animal or 900 on there. So you're trying to make best use of, of the cost. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that was my next question was how many on a plane will you answer that? So about 900 or so on a plane. What's the preferred size of shipping the animal? Is it, are they are we preferring or seeing more of the smaller feeder size pigs or are these more adult pigs that we tend to ship out of the U.S.? Different countries have different requirements. As an example, 
South Korea only likes bores brought in that are off performance test. So, you know, we're going to get into bores of 250 to 300 pounds. They don't travel the best. They take a lot of special care because we all know if a boar gets too hot at a mature age, we've got a minimum of 42 days before that semen's going to be good again. You know, that is if he doesn't get heat stress in a quarantine after arrival. Primarily, we would ship a lot of pigs at 110 pounds, 50 kilos. Uh, that way, we put 50 pigs per crate on a 747. And, and now we're regulated by weight on some airlines. Okay. As an example, we fly on China Airlines, and they're allowing for the weight of the crate and the pigs not to exceed 4,100 kilos. So we have to kind of manage from the time that we may select pigs, put them into quarantine, how much they're going to grow, and you're holding your breath on the day you're shipping. Uh, we've never had to send pigs back home from the airport, but we always worry about that. And now we're seeing some changes in the airline industry where they're getting away from 747s <laughs> and going to 777s. So our capacity is going to be reduced. Uh, our last charter, uh, we did a charter for AccuFast to China in April. We used a 777 aircraft, and we shipped 760 pigs. Uh, so that's going to come into play now, too, uh, with different equipment from different airlines, uh, as some try to migrate from 747 cargo. How many pigs do we typically ship out a year? Do you know? Oh, it varies. Uh, last couple of years, thanks to African swine fever, our numbers have been have been down a lot. Uh, the heyday, the high number to China would have been in the early 2011, somewhere around there. We might have hit about 12,000 head to that one market uh, in that, that year. And then come along H1N1 and, and some of the other things that have slowed that down. Uh, every market is different. It's just based on what's going on. Uh, Asia, of course, is our best customer. Uh, you know, they, they take the majority of the pigs. And then uh, it would be followed up probably with Mexico. So Mexico would typically be by truck or is it would be by truck. Okay. It would be by truck unless you're servicing some of the farms in the Yucatan Peninsula. Now, some of those yeah. pigs would fly from Miami to go into the Yucatan. So, uh, you know, I know there's a lot of big integrators in that area, and PIC would have populated a lot of those units. So they, they could have flown uh, by uh -huh. air. Sure. So you mentioned quarantine at the airport, and I don't think people quite understand the full process. So I've heard bits and pieces. So maybe walk us through what happens from the time you get a phone call that, hey, we've got a group of pigs that we need to ship to Asia, for example. Right. Um, can you kind of walk us through what happens to those pigs? Sure. You know, our business is focused around we either provide a service to a breeder that doesn't have the experience to do this or they don't have the time to do it. Mm -hmm. So, and every market is different with a different health protocol that is negotiated by the U S department of agriculture, animal plant health inspection service, veterinary services. So some mm -hmm. markets, we just have a test and go. 
where other markets like China is about a 60-day process. So to start beginning to end. So let's take a let's take a market like South Korea. Well, that producer uh, that was going to export, we would go and we would select those pigs. And then they have to have a quarantine facility on their place. It can be a clean building. It's got to be clean. It's got to be disinfected. It's got to be empty. USDA would send a, a veterinarian or a tech out to that farm to inspect it to make sure it meets all of the guidelines set forth in the USDA protocol. And after that's been inspected, those animals would enter that facility. And those IDs, ear notches, ear tag numbers would all be recorded. They are sent to the USDA office in charge of that shipment. And the day they enter that facility, that's day zero. So the next day is day one. Korea Mm -hmm. has a 30-day requirement for for quarantine. So after those animals are in the facility seven or eight days, then we would start the blood testing protocol. That way, we've got seven extra days on the end in case there's an airline delay or weather or trade dispute or something that we're having to work around. Mm -hmm. So uh, at about day seven, after those animals are in there, we would have provided a health instructions to the veterinarian that's going to be doing the health testing. And then by then we would have already notified the laboratories that we're going to use. We notify them of the specific tests that we want for this shipment. And then, you know, with Korea, there's not only the blood testing, uh, there's a vaccination for uh, two different vaccinations uh, with oxytetracycline in the process that have to be done 14 uh, days apart, but within a few days of shipment, uh, treatment for parasites within seven days of shipment. So all of those things are on a specific schedule. And then once all of those requirements have been met, the health paper is submitted to the Animal Plan Health Inspection Service. (laughs) And the test results are already at their office and they go through it. They check the pigs one by one. Okay, so that's done. After that's done, then we move those pigs after we have the health certificate back. They're going to be flying out of Chicago. The pigs are moved to a quarantine facility, which is actually located in Dundee, Illinois, uh, about 25 miles west of the airport. The animals are offloaded, and by USDA standard, they have to have a minimum rest time of two hours on feed and water with no activity. So they're there, they're laying around, they're on feed water. Then USDA will send their veterinarians out. They'll get the animals up and look at them one by one. We read the ear notches, ear tags. They check them off the health certificate, and then that process is done. So many of the protocols say that the animals have to be inspected within 24 hours of shipment. Mm -hmm. So usually the animals are offloaded 8 o'clock in the morning at that facility, USDA would inspect them somewhere around between 11 and 2 p.m. And then that evening, the animals are placed back on a trailer, transported into the airport. And then we load them from the trucks into the shipping pens. And then sometime after midnight, they're placed on the airplane and they're on their way. (laughs) And then the plane would travel, usually Chicago, Anchorage, Anchorage, Incheon, Korea. 
So that's one example. But you get into other markets like the Philippines or you can get into Vietnam and it's just testing and the pigs just have to be simple isolation. So as soon mm-hmm. as the health testing is done, you could the shipment could be gone in 14 days. Mm-hmm. China is a whole different <laughs> whole different beast. Before COVID, the Chinese would actually send their so-called veterinarians here. Mm-hmm. And they would be here at the edge of my desk for 60 days reviewing everything that we do. And we not only do one battery of tests before ship uh, before quarantine, but those results are back. The animals move to quarantine, and after 15 days in quarantine, we test them again. So that health testing bill for China on the average pig is about $335 per pig blood testing. So, and it is an exact science of. Because if you have one purse positive pick, that shipment is off. It's canceled. No exactly. It. So it's it's a tough protocol, but it's a protocol that was started back in about 1995, and the Chinese refused to update it. So sure. we're working with technology that's 30 years old of tests that don't exist. And, uh, you know, APP tests, we, we can only run one test. It's run in Iowa State. Here. So we get into those type things. So are you working on negotiating those health protocols with countries currently? I mean, I think that's actually a very interesting comment is that we're using assays that are old because that's what the government requires, but is there any ongoing negotiations and and who does that? I guess. Negotiations are ongoing and I happen to be on kind of a review committee Every protocol that's being negotiated for live animals, usually I get to look at uh, the APHIS staff. We have a certain uh, group of veterinarians all based in Riverdale, Maryland, and their responsibility is broken down by regions of the world. There'll be one veterinarian over Africa, another one over the European Union, one over Asia, uh, one over Australia, New Zealand. So they're always working on protocols, and their responsibility is to work on several species Uh, so they they have their hands full and Mm -hmm. you know you've got somebody that's reading out of what i used to refer to as the old oie manual you know i want one of these tests and two of these and they don't always apply Mm -hmm. and everybody wants the chinese protocol to be updated the chinese are looking at some things that if they go to a new protocol I'm not sure that we're going to be able to export pigs to China well, because they're asking for things that it's just uh, can't be done. And I know this is a swine program today, but one example is their cattle. You know, we well, haven't shipped cattle to China since uh, December 23rd of 2003. We had a first case of BSE or med cow. Right. And they've come back with a protocol that anybody in their right mind wouldn't attempt it. So the same thing uh, goes for swine. They're just asking for things that, you know, we don't test every day for Seneca Valley, you know, Mm -hmm. and and some of those type things. And somebody's read it out of a book. They think it applies. And, you know, you try to negotiate with them, and it's it's really difficult. Now, Mm -hmm. a lot of the other countries around the world will, will accept uh, new technology uh, for testing for, for different diseases. 
and you look at where we've come from in the last decade here, you know, the first big curveball we had was H1N1. Flu. You know, and then we moved to PED, you know, and those markets were closed to us, you know, in China for several months till mm-hmm. we agreed to a protocol to do that. Uh, so we're always having to negotiate on a, you know, on a protocol. And some of our competitors will jump in and agree to certain tests before we will. Uh, as one example, uh, APHIS was not going to let us test for uh, H1N1. Mm-hmm. And we actually had to get the U.S. Trade Representative's office involved with APHIS and to have calls and, and because the Canadians were going to do it. So, you know, we've had to try to keep up with this, with the Joneses, you know, on some of these type of things to be competitive. So, you know, it is a world market and, you know, genetics are a value added product that people have spent a lifetime, you know, breeding genetics. And we've all learned from COVID of trying to, to export food product, the inability for us to offload ships and and to transport and even airline transport. So it's, you know, it's very important for people to have a certain percentage of their food produced locally. Absolutely. Yeah, I was interested. You were talking about the regulations just a little bit there with APHIS, and we've been talking about exporting, but we're also importing animals as we speak. And so um, can you talk a little bit about both the import and export regulations and how how we negotiate those as well? Well, there's a whole different staff for the import regulations. Now, importing, depending on where you come from, uh, which country comes into the U.S., this is a very, very expensive process. Canada is, we're going to put Canada aside. Okay. You know, I've actually imported some animals myself from Australia. Well, Bringing any animals in from Australia or from Europe, those animals have to come in and be isolated, quarantined for 30 days in Rock Tavern, New York. So the animals would land at JFK Airport, they'd land at Newark, and they're trucked to Rock Tavern, New York. And the cost of that, I guess today, would probably run you $50 per head per day. And then take that times 30 days, plus all the health testing, trucking, and everything else. So that is a costly, costly endeavor. Now, we have imported semen from countries like Finland, and uh, we handle that for people as well, where we bring in uh, fresh or liquid semen, collect it on Monday, you know, it arrives into Chicago on Tuesday, and we can pick it up and get it shipped out to farms where it arrives on Wednesday or Thursday. That's, that's a different process. And, you know, we've had some success with that for people that are trying to bring in some outcross genetics uh, into the system. And there's been some breeders that have had a real success with that, but to bring live animals in, it is a costly process and it's an exact science of what day they need to arrive, obtaining the import permit from USDA and to make sure that the animals have traveled here exactly how the plan was. And, uh, you know, because, you know, you've got some of the European countries are 
affected by ASF and you're not going to transit those countries. So, you know, I, I appreciate the job that USDA does. They have their hands full of trying to monitor all this. And we've been really lucky here to keep out the really bad stuff, you know, the foot and mouth disease, and ASF, and some of those type things. Those are the things that make me lay awake at night. Yes. All of us lay awake at night. Sure. You um, mentioned semen import. I think that the audience might be a little bit curious on that. So when the, the semen comes in, um, are they required, I assume they're required to have documentation of, of herd evaluations back from wherever country they're coming from, but then do they also take a dose of semen and run any analysis on it before it's released out, or is it just based off of documentation from home based country? Based mostly off documentation. Uh, you know, there's a health paper. We have to apply for an import permit, list all the animals, <laughs> and then uh, their counterpart to our APHIS would approve that health paper. And then mm -hmm. uh, once it arrives into the U.S., it is checked and monitored for those documents. If it's frozen semen, USDA will, you know, check the tank and make sure the seals are legitimate before it's released. But uh, mm -hmm. to my knowledge, USDA doesn't take any semen out to sample like we have to for certain other countries that we export to. Mm -hmm. sample, sure. Right. Yeah, that actually surprises me a little bit that we wouldn't have to validate it once it's on this side of the soil, sure. that, that it's clean as well. Very interesting. Well, I see our time is actually about up, and I have lots of other questions, but I'll be mindful of our audience's time today. Um, Tony, are there any key points or takeaways that you'd like for them to be thinking about uh, related to this topic today? Well, we have an ad old adage here in the office. Uh, when you start an export shipment, you plan the trade and trade the plan. Uh, we have a reduced staff of USDA people all throughout this country. And if you haven't made a shipment in the last six months, it's changed. It changes every day. So you cannot do too much planning into this process. And, you know, you try to always have a plan B in place because planes break down, uh, weather, COVID. You know, just there's been so many curveballs thrown in our industry over the last, uh, you know, few years. So planning is, is for sure a necessity. Very good. It's time for our famous three. We want to thank the innovative companies and products whose support and trust make this podcast possible. MS Gold, the best hygiene products in livestock farming. Swine management to the next level. Cloudfarms.com. Ivonic Animal Nutrition. We are sciencing the global food challenge. Healthy Farms by Bioverse. Your manure management experts. We have a time and labor saving product for you. AgriSlats by Healthy Farms is your solution. No more lugging jugs around the barn every month. With AgriSlats, you simply drop the slat through the floor twice a year and it works to break down solids, reduces crusting and forming. To learn more, visit MyHealthyFarms.com. Well, one of the things we like to do with our guest speakers before we let you go today is ask you a couple of questions. Um, the first question I have is really, if people are interested in this topic and want to know more information, is there a resource or a, a group of resources that you would recommend for them to go to? Well, we have a lot of people that will call and say, I want to export to this place. Well, you need to make sure that there is a working health protocol that 
first of all, you can export to there. There's a country-to-country agreement. And then you got to make sure that there's a way to get them there, transportation-wise. So, again, that kind of comes into your planning. Because you'll see a lot of people that will go on missionary works. They'll come back and say, oh, we've got an order of pigs for Nigeria. It's almost impossible because I have to transit a European Union airport. They don't allow U.S. animals to transport or transit unless uh, we do some magical things. So you need to you need to do that background work. Very good. Is there a book uh, that you're reading today or that you've recently read that's not related to this topic that you would recommend to our listeners? You know, I, a book that's probably made the biggest impact uh, on me recently, uh, I've read a book called The Worst Hard Time by mm-hmm. Tim Egan. It's about the Dust Bowl mm-hmm. and what people went through in that Dust Bowl. And, uh, you know, with the environment challenges that we have now and what some of the folks in the, you know, uh, the Oklahoma, Texas, Panhandle, Colorado, all the way to Nebraska and how bad this was and how long it lasted. It's a book that's worth reading. Mm-hmm. Very good. So the worst hard times. Yep. So, yep. Very good. The last question I have for you is if you could. Think of someone in your life that you have defined as successful. What's a trait about that person that you think has allowed them to become successful? You know, between my freshman and sophomore year college, I spent seven months in the St. Joe stockyards. Mm -hmm. And I was with some old commission guys who had been there 60 years plus. And when you did the marketing for their customers' animals in the morning and you had to get in the car in the afternoon and go call on your customers and try to convince them to keep doing business with you or you're approaching new customers of how well their notes were on the people they called on. And, you know, of knowing that uh, John Smith's mother just died and Mm -hmm. their son was in the little league championship game and how they tried to establish a little bit of a relationship. And so there's just some, you know, not one specific commission person, but, you know, they filled the cooler up, one with with uh, soda pop, another one with beer. And they knew when they stopped to see somebody in the field who got beer, who got pop, you know, and the relationship they had with them to do mm-hmm. the marketing of their animals. And, you know, I've used some of that, I guess, training or education I've had, you know, a long time ago. So mm-hmm. uh, something that's mm-hmm. always been important and kind of a valuable tool. Absolutely. There's nothing more valuable than personal relationships and getting to know the people that you work with. Exactly. I agree. I agree. Well, Tony, I, again, I want to thank you for your time today. It's certainly been a pleasure, and I've enjoyed learning a little bit more about what it takes to import and export animals into the U.S. Um, for our listeners again today, this is Tony Clayton, who is president of Clayton Agri-Marketing. Tony, thank you again so much for your time. Laura, my pleasure. Anytime.